following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. All right. You want to get into God's Word today? James chapter 5 is where we are. Let's um, I'll start with this question. Are you, are you a person of your Word or not? Would people describe you in that way? You're a person of your Word. You do what you say you'll do. That's the question that's being raised by James in in this single verse that we're going to look at today, today's passage. He wants his readers to live with integrity. And I hope you want that for yourself. I want it for you. I want it for myself. And so as we look at this passage, James 5, we're not really a passage again, just a single verse, one single very packed verse for us on keeping our commitments. Let's read it. Uh, this is James five twelve. 12. Uh, but, but above all, my brothers, uh, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Are you a person of your word? You say, how can I be? How can I be a person of my word? Well, first of all, recognize the seriousness of what we're talking about here. James starts out by saying, but above all my brothers and And sisters, that phrase means both. But above all, I don't know about you as we've been working through the book of James, but I feel like I've been pinned to the wall more than once by this book. True? Is that you too? Just nod your heads. Yes? That's true. This has been, as we said, a no-nonsense guide to the extraordinary Christian life. It's been hard-hitting in so many ways. And if you've taken this seriously, if you've come every week, heart open, God, insert the Word of God, show me what needs to be changed. If you've honestly come and sought that week by week, then God has indeed done a deep work, but it's meant some hard decisions and some big changes in how you're living your life. And now he comes to something after kind of four and a half chapters of all of that. He comes to something that he goes, now, above all of that, as big and as important and as hard-hitting and as challenging as all of that was, above all of that, I've got this for you. And I'm kind of like, really? Because it's been pretty hard so far. Why is this so important? Why this particular verse? And it is for this reason alone. It has to do with our integrity. The wholeness of who we are. Are you a person of your word? Does your word mean anything at all to anyone around you? I thought it'd be helpful even just to define that word integrity. It's up on the screen. This is really like a composite definition. It's the state of being whole and undiminished. It means a living honestly means you are sound in moral character, that you are consistent in word and deed, that what you say is being backed up by the manner of your life, which is what James has been driving at throughout this letter. 
inside and out, I am whole. That's a great definition. Again, a composite of many definitions come together. But most of all, I know some of you are still trying to write that down. But most of all, I love the simplicity of what Bill Hybels has said in terms of integrity. Integrity integrity is who you are when no one's looking. When you're alone. The manner of your life when you're alone. Is that the same as when you're with other people? Your conduct in your home, your conduct in your workplace, is it the same conduct that you have going on Sunday morning when you're with the church? Or did you just polish it all up for this morning? Did you bring out your best behavior because you're going to be with other believers today? That's integrity. Who you are when no one's looking. That's not an exaggeration to say that if you lose everything else in life, if everything were taken from you, all your possessions, all your friends, all your family members, everything you own, even your health, if you were down to just like nothing else, that the one thing you would still have is your integrity. That all those other things can be taken from you and are out of your control. But your integrity is in your control and it cannot be taken away from you. You must give it. And so having said all of that, could we agree that this is all pretty serious? And are we taking it seriously above all else? Above everything else we've said, understand the gravity of this. Understand and recognize the seriousness of it. Be a person of your word. And so James writes next. I mean, if that's you, if that's the commitment you want to make, then James would have us check our words. This has been a theme going on throughout the book of James. Check your words. James writes, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Now, would you agree with me when he says, do not swear? That sounds pretty black and white to me. Black and white? Sounds pretty categorical, pretty like that's the lane we got to stay in it. And, um, and, And that can be a bit of a problem when we then go about asking people to actually make oaths, make a pledge, make a commitment, sign on the dotted line. It sounds absolute and categorical, but listen, here's what you need to know. This is not, this is not a blanket prohibition on all oath taking. It is not that. It would be inconsistent with what we see in other parts of the scripture. Now, I will admit, we're going to come back to that in a second, and I'm going to demonstrate how there are oaths that we're supposed to take. But I will admit that some people want to use this verse, especially in the culture in which we find ourselves. People want to use this verse to say, well, I don't really need to commit to anything. I'll just let my yes be yes and I'll let my no be no. And what that really means is I'll let my yes be yes when it's convenient for me to let my yes be yes. But I'm not committing to anything. I'm not going to give myself. I'm not making any vows. So people use this verse. Chuck Colson wrote a great 
a little piece. He's now with the Lord, of course. Uh, The lost art of commitment, he said. Young adults, particularly today, are far less willing to commit to anything. And whether we're talking about career, marriage, or faith, studies are backing up this observation. In 2008, the study's about six years old, more than half of people ages 20 to 24 had been with their current employer less than a year. Young adults are floundering when it comes to embracing a calling. I don't know what I want to do with my life. Increasingly, young adults are going to university with no specific goal or aim in mind, ending with a three- or four-year degree with no clue. The only thing they have after all of that are student loans. No more clarity on their calling. Marriage especially, he continues, has suffered. Young adults are marrying later than ever. A 2006 PBS documentary, Generation Next, gave some insight into why the three values that are driving this uh, culture or this generation is a desire for adventure. I'm not going to commit to anything because I want to experience life. Career advancement and prolonged adolescence. I just don't want to grow up. I don't want to make the big people commitments. Lack of commitment is also hitting religion hard. Studies suggest that the iPod generation is choosing which aspects of the faith to adopt to create their own unique spiritual playlist. Then he says, the basic building blocks of society simply erode without commitment. Any sensible society must address this problem by educating people that commitment is the very essence of human relationships. At the least, we need to teach this in our churches. How can you begin as a Christian without death to self and total commitment to Jesus Christ? When we refuse to commit, we miss out on one of life's great joys. When we obsess over ourselves, we lose the meaning of life, which is to know and serve God and love and serve our neighbors. Colson says we are biologically primed to find meaning through relationships. We're hardwired for that. And by abandoning commitment, our narcissistic culture has lost the one thing it desperately seeks, and that's happiness. Then he says this up on the screen, if nothing is worth dying for, then nothing is worth living for. We need to sort this out and understand that this verse is not in any respect an excuse for us not to make commitments. It is inherent in the one who calls themselves a Christ follower that we make commitments. And when we say yes, it is packed with meaning. And when we say yes, it's yes. And we do what we are hardwired to do. And so, as I said, to see it as a blanket prohibition on all oath-taking would be inconsistent with what we see in the other parts of the Scripture. When we study the Bible, by the way, uh, two little principles of studying the Word of God here. The first is context determines meaning. So we look into the context. What else is James saying about this? What does the New Testament say about this? What does Paul, Jesus, what do they say about it? What does the Old Testament, what does the entirety of Scripture say about this? Is it consistent to say that there are no oaths being taken? 
Context determines meaning. Scripture, second principle, same basically. Scripture interprets Scripture. And I don't want to ever lift a verse out of its context and make it run on its own. And so in the Old Testament, we have several examples of positive oath-taking. Leviticus 9, Numbers 30, Deuteronomy 23, all in the Pentateuch or the Torah, all give instruction on proper oaths and improper oaths. Many examples are seen throughout the Old Testament of oath-taking that are both proper and improper. You can jot down this reference, uh, Hebrews 6, 16. We see positive, or at least oath taken, seen in a positive light by the writer of Hebrews. For people swear by something greater than themselves. No prohibition here. They're just saying, people swear. When, when they swear, when they take oaths, the whole idea is to take an oath on something greater than you. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. That same passage actually makes it clear that God actually made an oath. Now, God prevent us from making oaths if God himself made an oath to Abraham. That's Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. And how about Jesus? The exact thing that's being addressed here in James 5 was something that Jesus did consistently in his teaching every time he said, Truly, I say to you, or sometimes he double packed it and said, truly, truly, I say to you. Or if you're a King James Version person, he said, verily, verily, I say to you. Uh, I, I mean, you have to. It's the King James. When Jesus is taking an oath. He's saying in that in that in that moment, he's saying, I swear this is true. And so this is not A blanket prohibition. The oath, don't miss this. The oath punctuates the importance and the urgency of what's being said. That's when an oath is proper. I'm telling you, this is really important. I'm not trying to convince you of its truthfulness. I'm not trying to convince you that I'm a respected person that ought to be listened to. I'm telling you, this is really important. Any oath we make should serve the same purpose, not to convince people that what we're saying is true, but just to show how important it is. So so check your words. Check what you're saying. Make sure you're not using oaths to convince people of something that should be automatically flowing out of your integrity, out of the character of who you are. What James is confronting here is the same as what Jesus was dealing with in Matthew's gospel in two separate passages. Matthew 5, 34 through 37. Clearly, James borrowed from this. James heard the teaching that Jesus gave. It was basing what he's writing on what Jesus had said. He's confronting the carelessness with which people were making oaths to one another. Matthew 23, we have a list of the woes that are going out, curses on people for the way they were living their lives, primarily the religious leaders of Israel. And he was exposing the nonsense of how they were living their lives. I, I swear on the altar this is true. I swear on the temple that this is true. I swear on the gold of the temple that this is true. I swear on the sacrifice that's on the altar that's in the temple that's inlaid with gold that this is true. That's what they were doing. It became so nonsensical. 
It was a futile attempt to get people to believe them. And the cultural norm had been, had become, you don't trust anyone. And so you spend all your time trying to tell them things and having to convince them that this thing is actually true. Do you think we have any less of a crisis of integrity in our society? We don't want to believe anyone. We're days away from a provincial election. And quite honestly, do you believe them? Do we have any reason to? It's tough. Ipsos Reid published a survey. They do this every once in a while. I, I found a Reader's Digest source on this too, but I figured two weeks in a row on Reader's Digest was a big much. Most trusted professions. You ever see these lists anywhere? Most trusted professions. How many people in this room, you have a job outside of the home? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have a job outside the home, okay? You're probably going to find your job on this list. I'm sorry for where it might land. The facts are the facts. Most trusted professions. Number one, firefighters. Any firefighters in the room? Stand up right now. You got number one on the list. Christian, stand up. Right here. God bless you guys. Two firefighters. Praise the Lord for that. EMTs, nurses, pharmacists, doctors, Canadian soldiers. Uh, Canadian soldiers. Notice that? (laughs) We don't trust any other soldiers. Canadian soldiers. Uh, Airline pilots, farmers. Uh, We have at least one of all of those in our church. Uh, Dentists. Um, That's pretty good. Dentists, number nine, right? That's pretty good. That guy's coming at you with a drill. Pretty good. I hate it when they stick those needles in your gums. Don't you hate that? Wouldn't be number nine on my list, that's for sure. Uh, Ten teachers, lots of teachers here. You're in the top ten. Congratulations. Lots of chefs at Harvest. That's why we eat a lot here. Lots of chefs. Uh, Twelve, we have um, a tough week for police officers, right? I hope you've been praying for them, but we have ten or eleven policing families in our church. Praise God for that, and um, tough week for them. That rounds out the top 10. Uh, daycare workers, judges, accountants, chiropractors, airport security guards. I wish that were higher. Um, right? 18 uh, plumbers, higher than pastors. I trust your plumber. Tied for 19 financial advisors and charity leaders. Finally, number 21. I'm... D- Honestly, I'm just thankful we made it above uh, television and radio personalities. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Journalists, environmental activists, kind of happy I'm above them too, travel agents. It, do we, are we even going to believe this poll if pollsters only make 26 on the list? It's tough. I am really shocked by number 27. It seems... Seems a little high to me. I am so in trouble. 28, auto mechanics. That's a tough business. No one wants to go to your mechanic. Not a person in the room wants to go see your mechanic. That's a tough one. New home builders, taxi cab drivers, CEOs, local municipal politicians, union leaders, actors. By the very nature of their employment, though, they lie. Right? They're actors. National politicians at 35, tied for 36, bloggers and psychics. How bad do you have to be to be below psychics? 
right? I mean, pretty awful to be 38, 39, and 40, don't you think? Advertising execs, car salespeople, and the dreaded telemarketer. All that to say, that was, some, that was fun. Um, if you work in one of those professions that's lower on the list, you may have a harder time convincing people that what you say is trustworthy, and that happens by default. And so, so we go into all of these different ways. I have to somehow compensate. I have to compensate because of what I do, because of what society is like, because we don't trust each other so much anymore. I may have to compensate because maybe in the past I haven't been the most reputable person. So we default into, and this is what was happening in Matthew 23, we, we default into across my heart, hope to die kind of stuff. We default into, I swear to God, this is true. We default into, I swear on my loved one's grave. That's what we default to. We start applying these phrases. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's ridiculous. Our word alone has has come to mean nothing. The solution is supposed to be not more oaths, more swearing, but the solution is meant to be our character. Our, the solution is meant to be our integrity. We're supposed to be people of our word. Jesus and James are simply making a strong imperative statement about foolish, careless, oath-taking, and an appeal to live with integrity so that oaths aren't even required. I just believe you. Because you've given me no reason not to believe you. And so check your words. F.F. Bruce helps us uh, see the point even more, more clearly. He says this, the idea that a man or woman can be trusted to speak the truth only when under oath, if then, springs from dishonesty and suspicion and tends to weaken mutual confidence in the exchanges of everyday life. So check your words. Are they trustworthy? Can people just believe you because you said it? I mean, think about the child who says, honestly, dad, honestly, dad, it's true. I promise. Now, why is that? Why is that child stacking up the the, the pledges, the oaths? I swear, dad, it's true. I promise. Well, that child is stacking those things up in an effort to be believed because somewhere in the past, that child has proven to be untrustworthy. That's an illustration that's meant for adults, not children. You understand that, right? We do this. Check your words. John MacArthur says, this sums it up. All men are born liars. All men are born liars. We're sinners. We're predisposed to falsehood. And so there is a pressing need for us to check our words. And going forward, to keep it simple. Just keep it simple. James just writes this, and again, it comes out of the words of Jesus, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. As simple as that. Christ followers should be so readily known for their integrity that no oath is required of them. 
What I love about Jesus saying this and then James reiterating is this. As I think about Jesus Christ, is there any greater example of someone who let his yes be yes? His yes took him to the cross. So much integrity in our Lord and Savior. How how could we not just with gratitude pour it out to the Lord in worship and say, thank you, thank you for letting your yes be yes for me. Making it possible for me even to have a chance to live this way. Because it all comes down to what he did for us. Is your reputation so established that people just simply believe you when you speak? Keep it simple. Back to F.F. Bruce. No one demands an oath from those whose word is known to be their bond. This is the kind of life we want to live. So Christ follower, keep it simple. Do what you said you do. Let your yes be yes. I mean, this is the extraordinary Christian life. We keep our commitments. We're serious about living with integrity. When we live this way with one another, when we live this way outside of the community of faith, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and among our family members, this is the thing that demonstrates that what we have is uncommon community. It's not the norm. It's not in our culture. No one believes anyone anymore. The fact that we have to have a, ten, a top top 40 most trusted professions, the fact that that entertains us so much and we so quickly run to that list to see where we fall on it demonstrates that we don't have any trust for one another. And in the midst of that church, the thing that we need to have is such integrity, such uncommonness in how we're living in community together that it is attractive, appealing, and even shocking to the culture around us. We should be standing out in the integrity that we have. So some examples, practical considerations of where this plays out in the workplace. How many of you are the employer, the boss, the manager? Just raise your hand right now. This is you. You own a business, a few of you. Really, when you're the boss or the employer... You fulfill your promises to your employees. You just do. If you're the employee, most people here, you work for someone else. Raise your hand. You work for someone else. If you're the employee, fulfill the terms of your employment. Be at work on time. A chronic problem and something of in. That, that speaks to our integrity. But if you took the job and you expect the paycheck and your boss tells you your shift begins at 8, you better be there at 7.59 ready to go. Because otherwise, you're not letting your yes be yes. You said you'd work in exchange for a paycheck, so work, be there. And give your all while you're there. In the church, that's in the workplace, in the church... Could I just say, don't say yes to something you're not going to follow through on. You okay with a little, a little chastisement right now? Can I just say on behalf of our staff team, that uh, one of the greatest frustrations they face in a week 
is when they have recruited you and trained you and sought to encourage you in your role as a servant in this church on one of the teams, and then you just don't show up for something that you said you would show up for. You're on a welcome ministry schedule. You said that you would be ushering. You said that you would be greeting at a certain door and then your plans changed and you didn't come to church on any given Sunday, but you didn't let anybody know and you didn't find a replacement. I'm just telling you, that's frustrating. You didn't let your yes be yes. You said yes. Would you serve on a team? Yes, I will. Then let it be yes. In Harvest Kids, it's the same thing. And it's a challenge because the same number of kids are coming this week that came last week. And we need all the servants that we've scheduled. And you said yes. Jeannie recruited you. She asked you to be part of a team. And then 845 rolls around and you're not in place. And we got kids coming. I mean, honestly, what the text tells us here is this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if you don't intend to come and to serve or to let someone know when you're not or to find a replacement for yourself, we would rather, could I just say this? We would rather you say no and let your no be no. I want you to obey the scriptures and it would be better for you to refuse an opportunity to serve than to say yes and then not serve. In fact, we're going to find out later in the text that when you When you don't do that, when you say yes and then don't do it, you bring yourself under condemnation. It's tough. Are you enjoying the book of James now? (laughs) How about your members' covenant? All of you, when you became members of this church, there's 230 or 40, 50 members of this church. You signed a covenant when you came in. Uh, We revised this uh, not long ago, but the essence of it is all exactly the same. The way we revised it was, um, and and we might even consider having all of you look at this again and even having a membership renewal at some point. Uh, But uh, the way we altered it was that you have commitments and the elders are making commitments back to you. So it's it's a true covenant between two, all right? So what we added was the elder commitments. Let me read your commitments, though. Under worship Christ, it's threefold. I have, by faith, become a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been baptized as a visible demonstration of that. Uh, Because a disciple worships Christ, here's the pledge, I will seek to attend and fully participate in the weekly worship services of Harvest Bible Chapel. Now, I get if you have to work, if you're away on vacation, if you are ill, or you have someone at home that's ill that you need to care for, okay? But otherwise... I'm not waking up Sunday morning going, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to church today. It just doesn't happen. Let your yes be yes. Walk with Christ. Because a disciple walks with Christ, I will seek to maintain consistent disciplines of Bible study, prayer, and personal witness. I will walk in fellowship with others at harvest by participating in small groups ministry at some level. To maintain our unity of fellowship, I will neither criticize nor listen to criticism concerning any member of this body and will, when personally offended, speak directly and lovingly to those involved. Let your yes be yes. Work for Christ. Because a disciple works for Christ, I will seek a place to serve within harvest that corresponds to my spiritual gifts and passion. So the let your no be no thing when you're asked to serve... You still need to say yes somewhere. And then when you say yes, it needs to be yes. And then it says, I will financially support the work of harvest by faithfully giving back to the Lord a biblical portion of my income. 
We already had the offering, so some of you, I didn't let your yes be yes just a few minutes ago. In the workplace, in church, in your family. Let's start with the most obvious oath, that of marriage vows. I'll let your yes be yes. How many married people in the room? Raise your hands. I want to make sure all the husbands and wives raise their hands at the same time. Okay. Right. Are you letting your yes be yes? One young man recited these vows during a ceremony I officiated not long ago. I'm hoping as I read his vows, he recognizes them. If he's in the room. He said this, in God's perfect will and in the presence of these friends, I take you, blank, to be my wife, to love, honor, and respect from this day forward in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. Does that sound familiar to the vows most of you made? I promise to provide for you, protect and defend you as God shall make me able. I will strive without ceasing to edify, encourage, and instruct you according to the command of the Lord Jesus. With the love God has so freely manifested in me, me, I shall endeavor to give likewise this same affection to you. I vow my life to you, trusting in the providence of God the power of the Holy Spirit, and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom all things hold together. Not for as long as I feel like it. Not not until it gets hard. Not until we get to the place where we feel like our differences have just driven a wedge between us. Not until they sin so grievously that I feel like I can't stay. Not until someone better comes along. I vow my life to you. I'm letting my yes be yes. How about his parents? But I I just believe, I mean, we have to take a test. You know, somebody said this. You have to take a test to get a driver's license. There are no tests before you have children. People just start having them and they have no clue what they're doing. True? True? No clue, no qualification to begin making more of you and putting them into society. It's true. So we tried to kind of address this and we kind of bolstered up our child dedication service a little bit. I'm now asking three questions of parents as they bring their children to the Lord. Parents, is it your intention to raise your sons and daughters in the ways of Jesus Christ? Their appropriate answer is, so let your yes be yes, correct? I'm going to bring my children up in the ways of Jesus Christ. Number two, are you willing to be held accountable by our elders and your church family at harvest? Answer, yes, let your yes be yes. Don't don't fight the pastors and elders when they step in to kind of have a like if I would tell people like if one elder, if you see one elder coming this way, they're just coming over to say hi. If you see two elders coming towards you, look out. It isn't good. You got 
you got a couple of elders coming up and, and wanting to talk to you about kind of where your kids are at and where your parenting is at. And I think this isn't going so well and how we can help you in all of that. If you, if you say this, if you make this pledge, if you bring your child up to the front of this community and before God in the way that Hannah did in the Old Testament, and you say, this child, God, is yours. Thank you for the gift. Help me raise them for you. If you do all of that, if you go to all the trouble of that, that's just not some pretty little ceremony. That's like you're giving your kids back to Jesus, so you better raise them for him. Even if you didn't say these questions because you did your child dedication years ago, the fact that you were up here was enough. It was your yes. So let it be yes. Third question. Do you recognize that you can do none of this apart from Christ and acknowledge today your complete dependence on him? You know what? That's the thing your kids need to see more than anything else. That's letting your yes be yes. I don't know what I'm doing here. I didn't take a test. These little mini-me's are running around me here. I'm seeing my own sin nature like I never saw it before. And pleading with God for help. Because I'm out of my element here. True parents? And Cheryl and I have said, we've, we've made no secret of this. You're always a rookie when you're a parent. Did you know that? You're always a rookie. You're never a veteran. Because when you have one kid, you're a rookie at that. Then you get two, and you're a rookie at two. You have three, you're a rookie at three. If you're Langford's, all the way up to seven, you're a rookie at that. <laughs> you're rookie, 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 all the way along. You're a rookie when they're preschoolers. Then they get into school age. You're a rookie at that. I've never had school age kids before. They go to high school. All of a sudden, you got high schoolers. Our last one went to his prom on Friday night. So we're kind of, you know, we're out of the high school years now. So now we're rookies at just having all these kind of adults running around the house. Hopefully one day leaving. (laughs) Having their own cars, not using mine, paying their own cell phone bills. Oh, but enough about me and my problems. (laughs) I wonder how many parents in letting their yes be yes are having conversations with their children, having dedicated them to the Lord when they were babies. I wonder how many of them are having real heart-to-heart conversations with their kid about what God wants for their life. Not, Not what you want for their life as parents. Not even what they want for their life. What do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go to school? And it's so me centered Let your yes be yes. You stood at the front of the church. You gave them back to God. Hannah brought Samuel to the tabernacle. Her only child. A miraculous birth. God had given her this son. And when he was weaned. Not when he was 18 going off to university. Not when he was 24 getting married. When he was weaned. She took him to God. And gave him. To the service of the tabernacle. That's what you're doing when you stand up here. Your yes being yes is that the totality of their life is for Christ. And you don't, it's not pushing what you want for them. It's not living your life vicariously through them. It's not them pursuing their dreams. What are your dreams and goals, son? What do you want to do with your life? 
What does God want for you? What gifts and talents do you have? How can you devote your life to the cause of Jesus Christ? That's letting your yes be yes. In your relationship with Christ, it's a fourth area, just very personally. There's no doubt that the greatest of vows, the greatest of oaths, the greatest declaration we make is this one. That we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no greater oath that we can make. He is Lord. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you're saying. You're receiving the saving work of Christ in your life. And you're declaring that He is Lord. He is captain of your soul. He is the King over all things. That you no longer have a volition or will of your own. That it is His will that is being done in your life. He is Lord. So let your yes be yes. He has control of your life. He dictates the terms. How is the cross of Christ? Is that the focus of how you live? Is everything you look at and everything that happens, is it through the filter of the cross of Christ? Because it ought to be. That's what it means to let your yes be yes. Has the cross so seized your life? Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may live. Baptism. That's the biblically prescribed outward sign of the commitment that we make to Christ. Two weeks from now, we're going to have that. The baptistry will be set up right here. And people will get into that water and they will stand there and they will make a declaration with their lips. This will be their yes to Christ. I'm going to follow him. And going down in the water, the visible, a visual picture of our identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection to new life as we come up out of the water. It's that simple. And having been baptized, and most of you in this room have been, you've identified with Christ in that way, on that day when you did that, you said yes. So let your yes be yes. And take up your cross and follow him. Otherwise, say no. And at the very least, keep your integrity. You won't have Christ. But in some respect, you'll at least have your integrity. You didn't fake it. You didn't say one thing and then fall by the way. You're not the seed that was snatched off the path. You didn't get choked out by weeds and thorns. By letting your yes be yes, you're allowing the spirit of God to flourish and fill your life. All that to say, keep it simple. Let your yes be yes. And if you need help with the yes and no, 
Take some time as James encourages you to consider the consequences. I mean, if you're still struggling with this, if this is still hard for you and you're thinking about it and just going like, I don't know if I'm ready to make that kind of commitment, no matter what you're talking about. I struggle in the workplace. I struggle in my marriage. I struggle with my parenting. People don't believe what I've said. I don't know if I want to follow Christ, become a member of the church, join a small group. All these things that we've spoken of here. Then take some time to consider the consequences. James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you will not fall under condemnation. I mean, at the end of the day, the issue always comes down to whether or not we will know the blessing and peace of God in our lives. How many people for blessing and peace? Yeah, you want that? I want that in my life. Or whether you will fall under condemnation, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. Whether you're going to feel the weight of all of that on your shoulders. And there are immediate consequences of not living a life with integrity. I mean, how awful is it when you live your life and no one believes what you say? Awful? It's awful, right? No one believes what you say. They don't trust you. I mean, how awful is it when a marriage loses trust? Not that it can't be rebuilt, not that there aren't ways to get back to a good place. When a marriage fails, it's the consequences of not letting our yes be yes. As parents, when we fail in this way, I'm not saying this is the reason every time. But quite often, when those in their teen years and their 20s wane in their faith and, and, and depart, depart from it and leave it, the faith of their moms and dads, it's because what they have lacked is consistency in the home. They haven't seen the yes being yes and the no being no. Not every time, but often. Kids don't find their parents credible. They reject faith. Or how about if you're the kids and your parents don't trust you? That's an immediate consequence. It's one we have to live out. And how many kids in this room... Young people, your parents don't trust you because there's no reason why they should. What about those who have lost their jobs or maybe failed to advance in their workplace? What about those who have lost relationships and friendships? Those whose leader, leadership potential is great, but because of their lack of trustworthiness... They haven't received those opportunities. They haven't let their yes be yes. Those are all immediate consequences that we ought to consider and beyond what we face in our day-to-day -day lives with each other. God himself may bring his discipline down on our heads. And none of us is immune from this. And when we don't let our yes be yes, there are examples in the scripture of those who said one thing and did another and God popped them right on the spot. 
Paul talks about those who were taking the Lord's table in an unworthy way. What does that mean? But that they said one thing and did another and then came together during the communion uh, uh, table and, and pretended like everything was good when it wasn't. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, some of those people are sick and some have even died as a result. You can write right beside in the margin in 1 Corinthians 11, you can write, they didn't let their yes be yes. You think you're immune from that? You have a misunderstanding of the scriptures. Consider the consequences. Perhaps your lack of integrity is an indication that you're not even a true child of God. Your lack of desire to do the yes when you've said yes is really the result of the original yes not being genuine. At the end of the day, your integrity isn't even intact with God. He doesn't even believe you. Today would be a great day to firm that up with the Lord. Consider the consequences. Don't fall under the condemnation of anyone, not the Lord, not anyone in your family, not a friend, not a co-worker or an employer, not your pastors or elders or a small group leader. Don't fall under the condemnation of anyone. Be a person of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? Do you want to say thank you to me for that one this morning? Just kidding. Bam, right? Let's pray together. Father, these are, um, these are hard words. They're heavy words about one's uh, father that I needed to hear this week. This is, uh, again, a message for me. I know uh, the leaders in this room and those who are uh, devoted followers of Christ will be taking this very seriously, God. And I love the fact that we come together each week and people are so eager to receive the implanted word of God in their lives. And so, God, I would pray for our resolve because in this moment, Many of us are saying in light of this word, God, I say yes to this. And so, Father, I need your spirit to make it yes. And I love, God, that you have not left us alone in this world. That You sent us the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us, to strengthen us for these things, to give us clarity even as we read the scriptures and apply them to our lives. And God, that's what we need more than anything else right now. We need the strength of your Holy Spirit to firm that resolve. To help us to keep our commitments and to be men and women of integrity. God, these things we pray in the strong name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.